Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us today in our Johannesburg studio is a familiar face, General Ria Piecha who was the former National Commissioner of the South African Police Services and the first and only woman thus far to have held this position. Her career portfolio has encompassed multiple executive roles, including work with ABSA Bank, Transnet. She served in the capacity as chairperson for several entities, namely the Presidential State-Owned Enterprise Review Committee, the Road Traffic Management Corporation, as well as the National Welfare National Forum, and she is actively involved in women's empowerment. She's a member of the International Women's Forum of South Africa and currently serves as CEO of Safe South Africa Foundation. Welcome to the show. Good morning, my dear sister, Dr. Amalie, and uh, thank you so much for hosting me, and uh, greetings to all the listeners. It's so good to see you, and I think it's been five years since you were last on the program. Time flies, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, when I, when I, when I replayed the, the podcast of the interview that we had and I looked at the picture and I'm still looking younger and a little bit slimmer. Now I see, you know, the little bit more tires around my waist <laughs> and uh, I'm clamoring for that beautiful figure that I had then. But it was a beautiful show and congratulations on uh, keeping the fires burning and getting women talking. Thank you so much. Having worked in the police and security sector, you've witnessed firsthand the pervasiveness of of crime in South Africa and the factors that contribute to criminality. You now serve as CEO of the Safer South Africa Foundation, which was founded in 2012, so eight years young, whose mission is to build safe, confident and empowered communities through a community-based approach with a really strong emphasis on youth. Firstly, can you tell us more about the foundation itself? Okay. Thank you for the opportunity to explain the foundation. As you have put it, it started at at the 2011 Congress of Pop Crew, the Police, Prisons and Civil Rights Union. They took a resolution to establish a foundation. And it was informed by the fact that As a union, they are serving their members in the police service, their members in the traffic departments, their members in the prisons. But the civil rights part of it is about communities. And they needed a vehicle that will bring that to life. Civil rights, communities being involved around their sector the area that they were involved and they needed to the the resolution was aimed at mobilizing communities and if we consider their sector they are entrenched in communities across the country completely and basically the primary tenet is that safety begins in the community not just in 
the area where the police are and everything. And if you, if I can quickly say, if you take the continuum of um, crime and its management and you start saying there is a proactive side and a reactive side. Most of the work that is being done by the police, the NPA, the courts, the prisons and everybody, it is when somebody has crossed the Rubicon, somebody has committed a crime, and that person is now going to be processed by the police, by the NPA, by the courts, by the prisons, and uh, then there would be rehabilitation. So the big question is, do we have to wait until these young people cross the Rubicon? There is room for a proactive intervention which talks to prevention, which talks to communities coming on board and playing a role. And the philosophy is also around the fact that uh, these children are not born criminals. At some point, certain things happen in their life that introduces them to their criminal, violence, bully type environment, which means somebody else intervened, recruited them. And that is negative intervention. And our argument is, shouldn't we be competing at that level as a society, coming in with positive injection? And what is that positive injection? It is the work that we're doing as Safer South Africa Foundation because we go out there and we say to children, crime does not pay. And after all, as a child, you are a citizen. And you also have a role to play. So get to understand this space of crime. And you're the next generation. Precisely. And investing in them is investing in the future. So by bringing them into the program that we are running, the community and justice program that we give to schools, we bring the very security cluster people, the police, the traffic, the NPA officials, the magistrates, the prisons authorities, Human Rights Commission, the banks have joined in. But it sounds like it's the entire criminal justice stakeholder value chain. Absolutely. We create a platform and they come and the children have an opportunity to now interact with the police. Through that session, they're able to know that, oh, it's not just about them arresting people. I can work with them. I can assist them. When the traffic officers come, they realize that it's not just about giving tickets. It's about road safety. It's about bylaw enforcement. And I can work with them and I can be an ambassador of the space in which they're playing. The NPA people would come and say, in this value chain, don't just see us there. This is what we are doing. Help us preserve the crime scene. Become the witness. Inform us. Because you're a responsible citizen too, you can help us to f fight crime. And then uh, they have an opportunity of meeting the magistrate to understand how a court functions. We even on a completely different day, take them to court, to spend a day in court, to experience how a court functions. 
and the courts are very kind in most instances. They bring juvenile cases there. Then they are able to see that that's not the space I want to be in. I have choices and I can make better choices with my life. So I would imagine apart from seeing, let's say, the the, the view of the proactive and the reactive yes. perspectives, mm. but they're also having an opportunity of of, of potentially seeing careers completely it's also another output that we get there because suddenly they realize that in the police by the way oh it's not just cops that are in you know, they are lawyers they are doctors they are nurses they are psychologists they are teachers so it's a holder forensic uh, scientists so they are able to see that Oh, there's so much that I can do. There are accountants in the intelligence environment and all those things. So it's a whole career expose. And it's got massive longitudinal benefits because we're investing, as you were saying earlier on, in the future. But this program is certainly going to have demand listening to, to everything yes. that you're saying yes. from seeing the successes yes. and being able to keep making those interventions so that kids choose the right path. Very important. We want to participate in fighting for safety in our communities. But the SAFE South Africa Foundation and the work that you're doing through the foundation seem to have a, a tremendously positive impact in the long-term view of the country. One of the things, though, that I feel it's important to raise, and, and particularly given your experience and, and the work that you're doing, is we had a, a conversation last week with the chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Public Works and Infrastructure, and the topic of the safety of women kept coming up, whether it was in the workplace, whether it was in the home environment, whether it was public transport, the safety of women was and is a real concern. And I re reflect on some of the, the sexual crime statistics that have been committed against women. Uh -huh. In the last 10 years, looking at figures from the South African Police Service, there have been 584,000 sexual offences. At the end of last year, we had a number of different protests raising awareness of, of gender-based violence, femicide and rape. And whilst these campaigns are, are really important from an awareness point of view, they've got to lead to some kind of action because mm. the reality is that we all know about this, mm. but how are we going to stop it? Look, I think uh, first and foremost, let's commend the women who are rising to raise awareness, to say, hear our voice. We are not safe. Hear our voice. There is too much. We are enduring too much violence. This gender-based violence is a pandemic. So that we must celebrate, that at least women are standing up and it looks like there is some bit of listening that is emerging. If I look at the response by the president and asking the departments to set aside resources, to have programs to participate and assist in this gender-based violence, issues. But is it sufficient? I agree with you. That on its own can be su sufficient. We need to start seeing very serious practical programs emerging. I mean, 
whether it is increasing the tutuka centers, whether it is ensuring that there is much bolder responses from the social development department and social workers in rural areas and in areas where this is happening, it is a very serious problem. We spoke a lot about communities in the first sector of the show. What do you think about the role of communities? If we're seeing this as interventions in criminal elements as a proactive point of view, do you think that that's in part a solution to almost reprogram and rewire people's thinking? Very, very important. I was going to come to that to say, again, I take all these issues that we're talking about as being largely reactive. Yes. When you start talking community, we're starting to say, how do we start structuring very solid programs that brings us into prevention? One of the things, for instance, in Safer South Africa that we're now working on, we're talking with a few civil society organizations to say we need to add to our program a gender-based violence module from a prevention point of view. And I agree with you, we need a rewiring. We need a reconditioning. Who are these abusers? Are they not coming from homes that are led by us as women, as mothers? Is it an indictment on us to say what is it that we are teaching our children? And I'm now being just woman specific. I'm not going, uh, you know, at uh, men should also be on board. But yes, but this yes. thought crosses my mind constantly that we have got so many single parent families and the single Jesus. parent is the woman. Yes. Mm. And the husband I have that abuses me was nurtured and brought up from a family. Are we failing our children as families? And I think also in the prevention arena, I'm saying first, let's talk the family. Let's move and start saying, if this is such a serious problem, and we talk about life skills in our schools, why is it not sitting as a subject that teaches our children to say there is a peaceful way of coexistence, a way of engaging each other? Because we're sitting here also with, you know, what shall I say, some underlying frustration on transformation processes that we're going through. I mean, whether you take it from Beijing 25 years ago, where the women are saying our voices can no longer be kept, we also demand space in doing what we are doing. I mean, you were just saying when you were introducing me here that uh, the first woman, why should it be the first woman? You know, when we are in a majority in this country, why isn't it just natural that uh, when we're looking for a president for this country, women can equally participate? When we start talking about a women president, it becomes a brouhaha as if it's something that requires, you know, a permit from God for a woman to do that. So and those the are problem, the things that we need to change. And the problem I have on that with the brouhaha of, of a woman president is that it's not just men, it's women. That's the point. And, and that's why you are saying the rewiring. They think something else at 
the formative stages is not happening. And we, you know, when I grew up, looking at those women in the rural areas, and where I come from, I come from the Sipedi I used to hear those women greeting each other. And it is a greeting that is between a woman and a woman. No man can greet me like that. And they would say, Bashumi. Bashumi means those who work hard. And they would respond. And at that, at that time, they're busy tilling the field. They're carrying water from the river. They're carrying wood. And you'd hear them saying, Bashumi, greeting each other. And the one will respond and say, Kebona, which means, indeed, we are the hardworking women. So that affirmation is there. We recognize that we're very important and we do things. And I remember another concept. You know, when I was growing up, there was something called Lichima. I see the politicians are picking it up. Because that's called summer work, and let's work together. Come and work with me to till my field, to deal with it. Tomorrow we move. To, it's almost like a stock full of helping each other. So you could see that these are organized people around their own survival and recognizing their importance and affirming each other. So the issue you're raising to say it's not only men, but it's also women. So I think we need to just rewire ourselves and start saying, what are we missing around us affirming ourselves and celebrating us and know that we can, know that we can. And when I reflect back to our, our previous conversation, I remember that your your household was, was very feminine. It was, it was all girls. Yes. And listening to you and in that conversation and as you've you, you know as you've developed your your career i imagine that the ethos there was very much about being capable being independent and i also vividly remember you you saying this and i, I hope that I, I quote it right was that you'd said that invariably in leadership roles or work roles women are compared to men but we can never be a second, rather, you said you can never be a second-rate man. Absolutely, I'm going to be a first-rate woman. Yes, do it the woman way. You know, I will tell you when I got to the police service, the attitude I picked up was that, okay, now that you are here to lead us, you you we will give you permission to lead us, but our way. It's silent. It's not overt. And that's the challenge that women are always and you confronted feel it. with culture, with patriarchy, with religion, all of these other dynamics on top of the job that they're hired to do. And then what must come out of you as a woman leader is to say, no, I hear you, but I'm here. And I'm not going to be a deputy you. I am going to be me. And I can only be my best person if I unleash the best qualities that I have, there is nothing wrong in compassion. It will still get the results that somebody else who bosses and bullies people there, it will even get better results because people would feel an open platform to express themselves and to be able to, you know, afford to be weak and 
be supported and be strengthened. So this toxic masculinity is nothing we must pick lessons from. We must be the, our best selves. And I would say that's number one. Number two, because of all these uh, structural inhibitions you find in the spaces we find ourselves as women, whether in the boards, whether in the workplace or wherever, you cannot do without a good measure of stubbornness with on steroids because you need to be stubbornly you. A good measure of stubborn resolve as a leader, as a woman. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to General Ria Piecha, who is the CEO of Safe South Africa Foundation. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. We've spoken about stubborn resolve, but how else do you think we can strengthen women's leadership capabilities? Let me add something else. The one thing that is going to take you further is ethical leadership and your integrity measures. Because once you have that, no, it's the strongest currency. The strongest currency you can ever have as a person. They will try you this way and that way. But that currency, you will remain standing because of all these currents where you are being tested as a woman. Let me come to that question that you've asked me. I think that Litsima that I told you about, working together, networking, supporting each other, hand-holding, making sure that we create a pipeline of similar leaders. When I live where I live, I must be looking at five, ten, six women to say they are ready. I've shared with them my experiences. They are stronger and they are able to tackle the challenges that that are there. And I think most of these women organizations, we must not shy away from our feminist woman itself. And we must teach each other, hold each other's hand, and not shut up. Their voices must be out and higher. And where we have failed, where we have had traps, where we have, let's open up and share to say, these are the lessons I learned when I was there. It was difficult, and these were the difficulties. This is what I tried to do to achieve. And the journey, I mean, to achieve again, we achieved because we learned from others. Those stories, we must talk and share. And we must have role models. And we are able to say, if she did it, because that for me is pathfinding. And we are saying, and, and, and for me, pathfinding says, I may have gone to the police and had my own challenges, but what I know is that the young little girl who saw me, who knew about me, knows that it is possible to be that. The young little girl who saw Pumzile Mlambo being a deputy president knows that uh-uh, it is possible. There is a pathfinder. We've seen somebody do it. So we must do that, celebrate, and make sure that when they look at it, it is not something that 
that that doesn't that that doesn't imbue confidence in them. It's something that says, go for it. Mm. That they identify Walk the with. journey. Mm. Litsima, I think, is a wonderful expression. Mm. And if I look towards government for the moment, we're on parity mm. in terms of um, the, the percentage of we're we're fifty fifty mm. in the in cabinet. So government seems to have got it right. But when I look towards the private sector, it's a completely different different scenario. It, it, it's chalk and cheese. How do we improve that picture? Whew. Look, I think there's a lot of work that we have to do. And it is time now that we who are suffering, the women, you know, Martin Luther King said, you cannot expect your oppressor to deliver freedom to you. So we as women, because these are statistics that affect us, we must stand up and make our voices heard and make noise and reclaim the space. The legislation is there. The policies are there. Why the regression? So we must come up and say, what has happened? And if quotas must be, let's go quotas. And the woman, uh, uh, the Ministry of, of, of Women must have a woman development index. Release a report each year on this indication. Consolidate them, whether it's the EE report, whether it is the JSC report, so that the nation should know. And the numbers are all there. The numbers are there, and we make noise about it. They have the platform. They are in the presidency. They must stand up and start saying, it's not happening for women. So I think we must start being very serious and monitoring, tracking, evaluation, and start looking also at consequences to say if you are not doing it, what are the consequences? So all of them, whether it's school principals, whether it's management of hospitals, whether it's universities, whether it's a police service, whether it is the JSE, we must actively and consciously manage and track it, women inclusion. It seems to be a constant battle. And if you don't have the representation, you don't have the role modeling, you don't have the pathfinders for the path followers to come in behind them. But it's something that requires constant, constant attention. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today we're talking to General Ria Piecha, who is the CEO of Safe South Africa Foundation. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. I, I know that one of the other areas that you're part of is the, um, well, you're a member of the, the South African chapter on the International Women's Forum, mm. which aims to advance women's leadership across their careers, cultures, and continents. 
There was recently a, a session with the president. Can you share any of the highlights from that um, conversation? I think uh, as the IWFSA, that meeting was important to us just to be allowed to sit around the table with the president and some of his very important ministers. The Minister of uh, uh, Women and Disabilities was there. The Minister of Social Development was there. And that for us was very important because we are offering to the president that uh, you don't have to with your cabinet to run this journey alone. We're offering ourselves as women to bring to the table intellectual inputs, to bring to the table our hands, our feet, and our ideas to help all other role players that are sitting around the table of making a difference to the issues of women. So we were offering ourselves to say, as a voice of women in this country, we want to join other voices and we are volunteering. We are declaring that we are there. We want to be with you as you embark upon the process of developing women leadership in this country. Mm -hmm. We want to be there when strategic and concerning issues of women are being handled, gender-based violence, this whole issue of misrepresentation, underrepresentation of women in various sectors. But this forum is a group of South Africa's top women. It's not your average, ordinary level benchmark. These are the women who are sitting at the top of their game in their respective fields. Precisely. And, and, and this is why we were saying, I mean, we had people like uh, Maria Ramos there talking about the economy. We had people like uh, Dr. Judy Lamini talking about gender-based violence and some of the type of initiatives. We had people like Marona from uh, who was the CFO at PPC. We were saying to the president, can we talk about this job creation and all that? It's not a male conversation. It is equally our conversation. We have inputs to make. And we are willing to be there to be counted. So we are an organized and structured formation and there are other organized and structured formations of women. We want to be around the table, not as second-hand reference, but as first-hand reference engage us. We have contributions to make. And outside of this initiative, I know that the IWFSA also has a, a vision of, of being able to groom the next generation of female leaders. Can you share with us a little bit of that? That's a big thing for us because leadership is, you know, is, is one of the, the strategic pillars that are sitting in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the strategy of IWFSA to look at supporting the current leadership, enriching that, but at the same time, a very important uh, focus for us in the strategy is building a pipeline of future leadership because those women have collectively have massive experience in tilling this journey of women leadership. So we're trying to leverage that experience and giving, you know, making sure that we can enrich the pipeline of young women 
who are now taking the button from us. So investing back into precisely into the, the uh, in into the next generation of, yes. of female leaders. Uh, you know, in Sepedi, there's, there's an idiom they say, and I'll explain it. They say, "Rutang banadi taula, lesiena chobadimu." Di taula. Remember, in those olden days, we had traditional healers, and they used bones to 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 diagnose what was wrong with you. So that idiom says that science is not written. So the best thing for you as a traditional healer, teach it to your children so that when you die, you don't live with the wisdom. So that's precisely that pipeline to say we have been there as pathfinders, most of us in that group. So share the experiences and they can improve on them. They can learn from them. And we can say to ourselves when we depart that the baton that we gave, we gave to strong hands and women who are strong-footed, who are able to take the course forward. Talking about sharing learnings, we're coming towards the end of the program now. What would you say has been the best lesson or lessons that you've learned in your career? Many lessons, but I think, let me put it this, first and foremost, I, I just want to say I was lucky to be where I have been. And it wasn't of me. It was because others came to the party. And I want to say that uh, my father was the feminist, first feminist I met, male feminist I met. I don't think he had a choice. Because we were all girls. Exactly. The second male feminist that gave me support throughout my life. Over, a, I've told you about my grandmother. I've told you about the women around that I met. But the husband I married... I, people keep on asking me, are you married? And I said, yes. And they say, how does this husband cope with you? And I said, he is my f cheerleader. He is the second feminist I met. Because I saw a man who was not threatened by a woman who's developing. He carried on with his own development and cheered us. And I see that in my daughters. So... That for me, I will always cherish to say I was lucky to have a father who said, be the best that you can be and do not try and be me as a father. I was very lucky to have, you know, when, when, when we were growing up, my grandmother became widowed at a very early age and I saw her stand up and take care of the family and all her children were graduates those years. And I said to myself, Wow, this woman. And she knew what she was. She was a community leader. She was everything. And she was a hard worker. And then uh, my mother, brave, bulls by the horn. And I looked at, as I told you the last time, I saw her at a time when it was not fashionable. She was already a principal of a high school. And she would share that uh, the male teachers are giving her serious trouble. I remember her coming home one day saying, one of them said to her, she's very ugly. And I said, it's not about your ugliness, ma. Are you comfortable with yourself? 
don't even listen to him. Just go and be the principal and tell him what to do and demand from him. And that's the type of person she was. And um, just that resilience, the strength, the focus, keep on walking attitude has carried me through many, many difficult circumstances. I disallow, I disallow anybody to define me. I define myself. You can say what you say. I hear the noise and I say that's noise. And I go in and I find me and I'm saying I'm on it. And I'm, un, I, I'm unapologetic. I'm a woman. I'm a feminist. I'm a womanist. And uh, I can as much as he can. Being your true, authentic self. Absolutely. And lastly, as we close out the conversation today, could you share a few words of wisdom or inspiration that you'd like to impart to ladies that are listening to us on the continent? Let me shift to the work that I'm doing currently as I empty my hands. We deserve a safe, a secure, a peaceful space in whatever country you are. But I also want to say it's not going to be delivered like manna from heaven. Me and you as a woman have a fundamental role to play. Let's teach our children good values of love, caring, respect for each other, consent for each other. And by so doing, we will be imparting peace education to our children and we'll be contributing massively towards reducing all these things that are making us uncomfortable in life. In schools, where we live, we meet crime. There is rape. There is abuse. There is everything. I do believe that we have some contribution to make. It's not us alone, but we have some significant contribution to make. Be, look at your child and ask yourself, do I like to be the child that I have? If not, go back to the drawing board and see if there is anything you can do to also partly contribute. We deserve to be safe and we can contribute to a better society. Thank you very much. It's been wonderful to see you again and to hear about the new developments that you're working on and still hear the passion that you have for empowering women. Thank you very much. And I wish you well with all this. Let's build a safer world. I couldn't think of more apt words to, to end today's show on. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to General Ria Piecha, who is the CEO of the Safe South Africa Foundation.